Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. pre-podcast before the podcast about what the podcast is going to be is the juice. I know. Cause then we start talking about it and then Danny's like, well, let's just turn this on because it's already getting good. I'm like, what's yeah, up? we know what we're talking about. So welcome to the best life podcast besties. Um, what's going on, Danny? What is up? I am, I'm chilling in my house and you know, <laughs> I saw that Jeff out. is going to the NFT conference. My Andy's there too. Who's a mutual friend of ours. Oh, I don't know if Jeff knows that. I texted him, him when I saw the oh. story. Okay, cool. Yeah. He just flew out for the day. So he left. Andy is so excited. So for those of you, I don't know if you know what NFTs are, what do they even stand for? Do you know what NFT stands for? So that's the only thing I know, because every time I'm like, what's an NFT? People go, it's a non-fungible token. And I'm like, (laughs) that doesn't explain it though. What the fuck is that? (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know what, what's a fungible token? What's fungible or non-fungible even fucking mean? So yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I don't know. So I know exactly what it stands for because I've been told a million times by people when I'm like, what's an NFT? And I'm like, that does not help. That doesn't answer the question. Non-fungible <laughs> token. That sounds like some made up shit. You get a Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Um, I mean, I maybe that, that is, I don't know why that makes me think of mushrooms. Like fu- I guess it's the fun fungi. Fun- yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like a handful of mushrooms. That's what I picture in my brain. Mm-hmm. So, um, Andy is a good friend of ours and he is him and Jeff both have been into crypto obviously for a super long time. And that's what, you know, that's what Jeff's expertise is. But, um, so yeah, Andy was like, I'm so excited. There's gonna be 15,000 people at this NFT conference in New York city. Like Madonna is going to be per- like performing and all this stuff. So he's like, so stoked. So I was like, have fun with all the dorks. I wonder, I was going to say, I wonder what the percentage of men to women is. And I have a feeling it's it's probably like 90%. It's probably one. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things with, and I know you dabble a little bit in Bitcoin now too, or in, uh, you know, in, um, crypto, mm-hmm. but it's, I feel like it's so fringe still. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like maybe the podcasting. I don't know. Uh-oh. Yeah. But I heard like in maybe, I think it was like maybe 2017, only like 50% of the population even knew what a podcast was. And now like so many more people know what it is, but I've, yeah. I feel like the same is happening with crypto. I think during the lockdown, people talked about it more, but still, even though I know what it is and I'm putting finger quotes, I still don't know what it is. I'm like, cool. I'll put money in there. And I'm like, monopoly money. Yeah. It's like a stock to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about Andy and and Andy was just like, it's like the NFT stuff right now is like drinking from a fire hose. Like it's just, there's so much information coming at you to like be able to make sense of it and like know what to do and like why this is important. Because all you see, if you go on Twitter, all you see these like stupid cartoons and you're like, why would I want to buy that cartoon? Like, right. <laughs> it's a weird, <laughs> like, this is what I can't figure out. So what I do know of NFTs is basically people buying these weird JPEGs. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you buying a drawing of a really bad pixelated, like monkey, Ninten- Nintendo 1984 monkey? <laughs> totally. It's so weird. But I mean, I guess these are, I mean, it makes sense that like you have people who are digital artists, right? Who put out these pieces of art that are unique, that are IP, and now they're ownable. So instead of having a meme that you can just 
you know, I guess people own like the memes that you see that are always the same. Those like always the same ones that mm. someone owns that. And now right. it's, so it's a little, like it's a possession. Anyway, I'm it makes my head want, want to explode. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm at home. He's in New York. He just nice. got there today for NFT and I'm just babysitting. It's me and the, me and the pup. You and the nugget. Me and the pup. Club. We just went to San Francisco actually. And How was that? Um, it was good. Oh my gosh. The weather was amazing. You know, oh. San Francisco can be so chilly, right? But we went to the beach, like a little dog beach. And I know I was going to ask you about this with Pip, but we kept throwing tennis balls and then we get home and literally Beasley just threw up so much sand oh, really? and two days in a row, just like puked. Uh, she probably swallowed about a tablespoon of sand every day, just from the tennis ball, I think. Oh yeah. And I thought that might get dangerous after a while. And I looked it up and it could like sand could get impacted in their intestines and they have to have surgery. So I was like, if I lived next to a, like a dog beach, I don't think a daily thing could work. It could be pretty dangerous for dogs. Mm -hmm. I've never, I mean, yeah. Pip eats everything though. So I don't know. She, <laughs> she, she's she never, never puked, puked up sand. sand. No, yeah, she's never she, puked up sand. She puked up a ton of sand. And then the next morning her poop was like half sand. And I was like, Holy crap, you must've eaten a ton of sand. I could see how it gets on the tennis ball though. For yeah. sure. I, I think maybe getting a, and just for any of you beach people next time I will bring a rubber ball because it just sucks up into that tennis ball. And mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, a rubber ball would have been a little better. Yeah. But yeah, it was super fun. It was really nice weather. And I was, you know, surprised because I feel like San Francisco can be pretty finicky and, and, uh, cold, but it was super nice. And even Vegas is really weird right now. It is unusually nice. It's usually killer hot. I mean, mm -hmm. so, so hot this morning was 78 and it's only going to get a high of 90 and it's been like, I can go outside, which usually you just don't go outside until you know, midnight or something. Cause it's yeah. so hot. So it's been really strange. <laughs> I know you were taking the dog to the dog party like midnight. Yeah. Like the one time you can go out. Jeez, I know seriously. super early in the morning, which we know you're not awake at yeah. super early in the morning. So it needs to be late, late yeah. night. Yeah. Um, I was down in San Diego and we are in June gloom here in SoCal. So it was definitely overcast mm. the whole time, but it's the same thing, but this week's supposed to be super nice. So just in case you guys wanted a weather alert, which is funny because, um, <laughs> I'm doing this physique 40 challenge right now, which is, it's awesome. We have a bunch of people like posting their workouts every day and it's so fucking hot everywhere in the country. So we're recording this on June 19th on father's day and everywhere in the country is like so hot. It's like in the hundreds, pretty much everywhere. And these people are trying to do these workouts outside and they're just dying. And I'm like, y'all make sure you are staying safe with these <laughs> <Yeah>. workouts. <laughs> Stay I can't, hydrated. I'm like, I, yep, there's a, there is a disclaimer on these workouts. So please listen to your body people. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> yeah, are, yeah. It's not in Vegas. So I don't know what's happening. Nice. I guess all the heat moved to the, the rest well, of I will the be country. in Vegas in a month for my birthday, exactly four weeks from now. Whoop, so whoop, yeah, whoop. I know yeah. I'm excited to get on my, uh, physique 40, get my body right. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can have results in four weeks. <laughs> hey man, 40 days. <laughs> you can have results. Oh man. Um, so we're going to do an episode today on, and we've talked about this a lot, like self-trust, but this is actually kind of a little, um, a little more nuanced. Um, this is from a, a gal in the group named Danielle. And she said she would love to do an episode on self-trust, but how to ease anxiety around the topic. For example, anxiety, when you make a decision and you use other bad decisions of your past as reasons, you're a bad decision maker in general. Mm. And I, I had kind of talked about this on a few episodes back. We were kind of rediscussing like why I was more scared of marriage than I used to be. And I was just saying how I, my first marriage, I was so certain I was 
so certain I found the one I didn't have any doubts in my brain. And so now I'm in another relationship and I don't know if any relationship I could be in going forward, if I could ever be that certain, because now I question my judgment, my certainty. Yeah. My judgment of, of things. And so it kind of got me into this weird space of going, how can I trust myself when I just knew I had a note, like a literal mm. body knowing, you know, that things and. And also with the hindsight of still thinking I did the right thing, like my marriage was the right thing and it, it was what it needed to be. And so I don't think I was wrong, but it still ended and I didn't think it would. Right. So you start to question yourself and maybe this is a relationship thing for you too, of not you, Joe, but mm -hmm. yeah, you listeners, um, maybe you found yourself where let, let's say dating and you just keep coming across the same like jerk or somebody who's just not good for you. And you're like, God, why can't I pick? good men or why can't I pick a good job or why do I just keep making these bad decisions? So you start to, you start to just not even trust yourself that you can make good decisions. You're like, I must just be the shittiest picker of people or things, or I don't know where I live or whatever. And so I think this is a really great conversation to have because I'm just raising my hand feeling like I've been there. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's one of those things where you know, there's a familiarity to it. You can like, on one hand, you're like, okay, I know that I don't want this type of person, like intellectually, I don't want this type of person, but for whatever reason, there's some familiar. And I know there's like some research on, like, we tend to pick our, someone who's similar to our opposite sex parent. So like for women, we tend to, you know, pick someone who has similarities to our dad or whatever, or we go the complete opposite direction. Right. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of that. I think my, ex-husband is very similar to my dad. And I feel like my current boyfriend is very similar to my stepdad <laughs> in like a lot of ways. Yeah, And, you know, and it's, and so I think there's a familiarity there, but yeah, that's really, I remember when I uh, talked, I announced my divorce publicly and it's not like I'm a celebrity or anything, but like to send to my email list and a couple of people had men uh, and I had gotten, a, I got like some unsubscribes and I only got like a handful of responses back from people saying like, either saying it was like divorce was a sin or mm. like, oh, it was like something about like it being a failure or like something like that. And on Twitter, I remember this is right around the time that Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt broke up and they were together for 12 years. And my ex-husband and I were together for 10 years and people were saying how Brangelina was like such an epic failure. And I was like, God, they had like 12 good years together, you know, how can that possibly be a failure? So you can look back at these quote unquote bad decisions and still be like, but it was the right decision. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who this is by, but it is like, never regret because in the moment it's what you wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing is I don't know that there's, but at the same time, when you go through something like infidelity and you go through betrayal, you're kind of like, God, how did I not see this coming? How could I not have known? And that's the first thing people ask you too. They go, were there any signs? Yeah. You, and you're like, you fuck, there probably were, but I feel like a fucking idiot that like, I didn't recognize them or I chose not to see them or whatever. Like we, we see what we want, right. In all situations, we see what we want. And we oftentimes will, and it's funny because they actually show in research that when we look back at our exes, we only look back with fondness with our exes. We don't, we forget about all like the bad stuff that happened. And we, we forget the reasons why we broke up. And this is why people always like romanticize their like high school sweetheart. Or like, I wonder what my college, you know, you'd be 40 years old and you're having a midlife crisis and you're like, ah, my, you know, college 
boyfriend was the one who got away. And it's like, right. no, actually, no, they're even worse for you actually now. Yeah. But like, yeah. but you just romanticize it so much because you're like, there's something about that. But I think as humans, we like familiarity. Mm. So we will always tend to choose something, even if intellectually we're like, oh, this kind of feels the same, but it's like, it's safe, right? The familiarity of it's safe. Now, if I'm like, holy fuck, I keep making all these bad decisions and I need to yank myself out of this bad decision streak, I'm going to have to consciously choose something opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's going to feel even more uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? So I remember even when you were dating and I think I've talked about this before and I'd be interested in your take on this. I think my self-esteem was just sort of in the toilet for a couple of years after the divorce where I was like, fuck, I'm just like not even good enough to like keep my husband's attention. Right. This person's supposed to love me and like be my one. And I'm not even good enough. I'm, you know, of course so much of this is happening on a subconscious level. Right. But I did date a good amount of like fuck boys who were really confident, which I think was what was attractive to me, but borderline like cocky and definitely fuck boys. And I remember thinking to myself like, okay, Jill, if you really want a quality relationship, you have to start recognizing these things and you can't get, go to that level anymore. Cause it's like, it's fun. And it's like, they're hot or they're, but like the arrogance was kind of hot to me, but I was like, all right, if that's, but you, but they keeps ending up being this, like, like just what's it called? Like just dead end. Mm -hmm. So I have to consciously choose something else. And Keith was very different than that, than most of the guys I dated during that time. And, you know, it was just, it was really interesting, but you do have to yank yourself out by, by like drastically consciously choosing something else. And sometimes that's really hard because we don't know. This is, you hear those people say like, it's, this has been me too. I'm like, Keith is treating me like almost too good. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know what I mean? You catch yourself doubting because you're like this art, this feels like it's too good to be true. Or like, am I even worthy of this level of love, you know? And you have that feeling of like, God, am I going to get, is the rug going to get pulled out under me again? And I try to stop those thoughts as soon as they sort of start to come in. But that is hard because you go like, oh, it's getting too good. I'm waiting for their shoe to drop, which sucks for all yeah. of us. But I think it's if you've historically made quote unquote bad decisions, then sometimes you have to notice when those those sort of negative thoughts come in or those things that you question. If something's really good, it's good. And just let it be good. Yeah. So I hard. Think, I think like all the things you said, it comes down to just patterns and yes. And we just tend to replicate things over and over. And if we look back, um, I'm working with this lady, like coach slash therapist, like her, her role, I guess she is trained therapist, but that's not her role. She's as a coach now. Um, but she says that you would be so surprised at how much of what we do and act out every day is just patterns and it's unconscious. And so, and this is literally patterns from childhood and from beyond that. So I had a recent session with her and we were talking about my dad and because what you said is really, there's so much of what our fathers, um, is how we go into our next relationship. And so it's like, if you're wondering about your relationship now, sometimes it's like, Hey, look back at your dad. And then it's like, look back at what happened to your dad and what happened to your mom. Mm. So 
we were kind of digging into my parents and their life before I was born. And I had so many of these like huge ahas, like, oh my God, oh my God. And a couple of things about it was I had a lot of, I had a lot of compassion for them and who they were mm. and how they raised me and how, and how they raised me. And in the ways they fucked me up or fucked up. And so I think there's a lot to be said for when we start to question and not trust ourselves. And this is such a big, like deep, uh, like conversation about like therapy and just like uh, self-awareness and kind of digging through your own shit, but really is in order, I think, to be able to quote, trust yourself, you have to kind of know yourself and have compassion mm. for why you made decisions the way you did and who you were and not put blame on like, God, I was so stupid. I shouldn't have known. There's no way you could have known because if you look at your history and your past and how you were taught and how you were raised and how the people who raised you were raised and what they went through, you almost didn't have a choice. You just did what you what felt good, what was keeping you safe, what was protecting you. And when you look back at it with compassion and go, Oh my God, no wonder I was with this kind of person or no mm -hmm. wonder I made that decision because this happened and this happened and this happened to my parents. And this is the way that they made me feel like, God, you just feel so much compassion for yourself and for your ancestors yeah. and for all the people who came before you. And only then I think, can you start to make conscious decisions? Cause you're not blaming and getting angry and feeling mad about it. And I think you can be aware and still make the bad decisions. Cause you're just like pissed. And I think if you can come from a place of just self-compassion and going like, okay, that 20 year old version of myself didn't know better. And of course she thought that this was the right thing. And of course, like from that paradigm of how she lived, of course she did these, like these things that happened that and didn't end up well. And I think another big piece of that is paradigms, right? So we did a, we did an episode on religion and it's so interesting. I was having a conversation with one of my girlfriends. She came into town for her birthday and we were both raised in the same religion and there's a new Netflix movie out. I don't know if you saw this, Jill. It was, it's about like the polygamists in um, Utah. The polygamist mm -hmm. is called like stay sweet or something. And the polygamist um, basically the, it's these people who were an offshoot of the Mormon church and they marry each other. And it just turned into this horrible, like this guy starts marrying 14 year old girls and young girls. And it's, it was taken to this extreme, but I'm watching this, this show and I can relate to so much of it because even though they were an offshoot of the Mormon church, still so many of their beliefs are like still very rooted in the church. And you can stand back and see like, and if anybody's seen this, this show or documentary docu-series, these people are kind of stuck in their little, I don't want to say village, but they're kind of like their little village, like the outside worlds they don't see. And so many of us are just the same. It's we're maybe not in a cult, but we're in our little village and circles and we don't see the outside until we actually leave or travel or get to get exposed to something else. So we have a paradigm of life. So whether or not you are, you're raised in a small town or you're in a big city, or you lived in the hood, you have a paradigm of how the world works and that's how you make your decisions. And so I think not only can we look back at ourselves with compassion of who we were, but also where we were and how, like the environment we were raised in. And so many of those things affect how we make decisions and how we view and see the world. And so in order to change that, I think we have to be conscious about conscious about changing it, but also be willing to expand and see things in a different way and see that maybe the way that we see them, isn't the way they are. 
Mm. And I believe so that really, ta- I really, I think that really takes deprogramming and it's not easy because programming is, it's just the way you're wired, right? So to undo some of that is really, really difficult. Our brains are plastic, right? They call it neuroplasticity and they make our, our like habits basically are just wiring that has happened over and over and over so many times to make it easy. So we don't have to make these conscious decisions. So to undo those takes a lot of work. And so a lot of our thoughts are actually just habitual thoughts. Mm -hmm. They're not even, they're not even consciously thought out just like our, you know, maybe you're just like pick your nails or something as a habit or something like that. But a lot of our thoughts are literally just habits as well. So I think there's so much that comes down to like undoing some of these things or breaking out of paradigms that we maybe have been raised in. And then just having so much compassion for that old version of ourselves, instead of blame and anger and, um, being pissed at where we were, it's just like, okay, look at that and go, here's what, and it gives us a roadmap and an explanation, but it doesn't fix going forward. So we have a roadmap. We have an explanation going, okay, I see why a to B, B to C, C to D, why I ended up here, but to go from, you know, E to F, if I want it to be different, I'm going to have to make to your point, different decisions. And I can't make those decisions based on my past decisions. They have to be something very different. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because it really is. It's, I think the, the term or the, um, phrase is what wires together, what, what fires together, wires Wires together. together, Right. So it really is habitual. Like your thoughts are actually habitual and it's, it's almost like you have to have this pattern interrupt. And the other thing is, the biggest, the best predictor of your future action is going to be your previous action, right? Your so what what you've historically done, unfortunately, can tend to be the easiest thing to do again moving forward. So to your point, if there has to be a pattern interrupt, there has to be some way that you yank yourself out of that pattern. Like the the pattern recognition is great, but then how do we change it? Is I mean, this is where like the as if principle comes in. This is where maybe finding people who are could be mentors or models of what you want in the world. So one of the things we can even just take this to like a business example, there's something in marketing, uh, it's a strategy in marketing that we call model of the world. And you guys have probably seen these. These are like blog posts or social media posts where it's like the top five characteristics of successful CEOs, right? And you're like, ooh, what are they, right? So success leaves clues and this is model of the world. So it says, if you want to be successful, so it would be the deduction would be, if you want to be a successful CEO, you have to do these five things. Now <laughs> to wake up at 4am, you have to take a cold shower, right. right? All these things, make your bed, whatever the fuck, but it's things like that in marketing. So then you can literally go, Hey, here's five things that the most successful people do. Do you do them? So while maybe you can't take on all of those things and maybe they're not all for you, you can filter it through like, can I see myself actually getting up at four in the morning and like, you know, fucking making my bed every day. But there is something to that. If you want to, and this is actually what I did when I looked around after, you know, a couple of years of dating some fuck boys, I was like, I looked at people who had really great relationships where it felt like they were solid. And I was like, what are these women choosing in their partners? And what are they um, willing to um, say no to? What are they, where are their boundaries? What are they willing to forego? Um, you know, and, and bottom line, a lot of it came down to, and I'll just give sh- a shout out to Christine Hassler. She was someone who really helped me moving forward because she was a couple of years older than us. And she was very much like, 
sorry. Like she was very, I don't say like cutthroat, but she was very like boundary heavy. And if there was any like of the slightest bit of something where she was like, that's not, I'm not operating at my worth. She cut it off. And that's how I want it to be. So I had to find other examples of what that could look like. All right. Sure. If like someone is like willing to hold out for the best, I'm like, yeah, fuck. Why can't I hold out for the best? So you have to sort of look at these people who maybe are living the lifestyle you want or whatever, and get very real on the decisions that they're making, even though it's so easy to just revert back to what we've always done. Because like you mentioned, it's the easiest thing to do. It's the habit that we have. And I like that you said that about holding out for the best. There's a big piece that has to be worked on your own self-worth and Mm self-confidence to be able to do that. Totally. So it comes back to doing so much work on you because if you think, okay, I have to do these things and have these boundaries and hold up for the best, but inside you don't believe you're worthy of that or that you can receive that. There's no way you're going to be like, I got this guy. He's good enough. I don't know if I can find any better. So like, let's just do, and you could just rack up all the things in your brain. Like why he sucks and there's red flags and you're just like, but right. Who else is out there? Right. And you're maybe feeling desperate or lonely or I don't know, just not good enough or not pretty enough or think you can't attract better. And so you just settle for breadcrumbs because your self-worth stuff. And again, and then it goes back to why do you feel that way? Like, what do I need to work on? Um, What is it about my self-worth that's tied up in believing I just can't get any better or can't do any better? And it's just, it's like, it's so much patterns and so much, you know, how we're raised and and beliefs that are just so tricky to undo, but so worth it. And it, you don't have to, so it's a lot, it's a lot to kind of unravel. And sometimes I don't have been kind of in some therapy sessions or doing some self-reflection or work or reading a book. And I remember I got this book called, um, oh my God, it's like the five things, shit. I'm going to have to look it up, but it was basically like a book I got right off. I read, started reading right after my, I split up with my husband and it was like the five things to like live your best life or something. And I was reading it and just bawling because everything just felt like it was calling me out. And I was like, fuck, that's me. Fuck. That's me. (laughs) And I just felt so called out reading it. And I wanted to just literally like take the book and throw it in the ocean because sometimes ignorance is bliss. Like when you don't know your, your own shit, you're like, I'm fine. And then once you start knowing, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so messed up. Well, you, when you start to know some, then you feel like, fuck, I got to take some responsibility for this. Yeah. Right. But if you are ignorant, then you always just think it's the other person's fault. You know, right. it'd be so easy. And you and I have talked about this, you know, it would be so easy to just blame our ex-husbands and be like, they were assholes and like, leave it at that. And and in fact, I feel like most people who go through affairs, that's what they just say. And it's not that I'm condoning the behavior at all, but it's like, but, but when you go, God, this is so much more nuanced than just he's an asshole. Then, then it does force you to be like, what was my role in it? And I don't blame myself for that, but it's interesting to sort of go back and identify so that you can make a different decision moving forward. You know, so it's, I totally get that feeling of like, shit, this is me and go back, going back to your point about self-compassion, right? So you can notice that stuff and you're like, fuck, I have been making these quote unquote mistakes, or I have been, you know, on the breadcrumb diet, right? I have been allowing people to walk all over me. I have been, you know, dating 
dudes who don't deserve me. Like you, when you notice that, then you just, it's your responsibility. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be miserable to choose something else. And that's sometimes really hard because you don't know what the next thing looks like. It's, you know, what the current thing looks like. It feels safe. It feels familiar as much as you hate it. Sometimes there's safety and certainty in familiar, even, even when it's miserable. Yes. Yes. I think that we, we often would rather just stay where we're at because it's, it's uncomfortable, but we're already used to be uncomfortable. And instead of being uncomfortable, figuring out the truth, you know, and just going, Oh, the book was called the five things we cannot change and the happiness we find by embracing them. And it was just about these things we couldn't change. And I was like, I, I feel like I'm a recovering control freak. And so it was these things that I just wanted to control. And I'm like, no, why can't I make him love me? Why can't I make him be this? And I was just feeling like this book was making me so angry. And, but it was all like true. I'm like, I can't change this. I can't change this. And then it's about learning to surrender and going, okay, what can I do? What I can control. I can control my attitude. I control my response. I can control what's happening around me or how things are falling apart, but I can't control, like, what can I control? And Mm -hmm. so I think for me, that was part of like moving too, you know? So like, they do say that like the easiest way to change a a habit is to literally physically move. Mm -hmm. So, and I know a lot of people can't do that. We've talked about this on several episodes, but if you change your environment, it's the fastest way to pattern interrupt because literally you're in a different place with different people, with different surroundings, different, you know, daily routine, whatever that looks like. So maybe, maybe you can't geographically move, but you could quit your job or work from home, or, you know, you could plan on like once a quarter, like traveling alone, like you can do things like that, that challenge you in other ways. Um, but first of all, to Danny's point is you really have to sort of like recognize the pattern as much as without, without judgment, right. Recognize Mm -hmm. the pattern without judgment and then go, all right, well, if these are all the things I normally do, what would be the opposite choice? What would be the opposite thing of that? And while that's scary and uncomfortable, and maybe there's less certainty, that is probably what it's going to take to make a different decision. And, you know, I I think that I'm so glad that we spent so much time talking about the self-compassion piece, because I feel like that is where a lot of people stay mired in this. Just the end of the story is I can't trust myself Mm -hmm. to make a good decision. I'm a bad judge of character. And obviously, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that's catastrophizing, right? That's just, that's not true. It just because you've made, and this is one of one of the things my mentor James says, is he says like your history has no like Im- impact on your future, and I think it's really hard, especially when you do have these, you know, loops in your brain that are go- that are firing just automatically. But it doesn't have to be. You can literally make a different decision now. But to your point, you really have to have a good amount of awareness. Otherwise, you're just going to be like you're just uh, sleepwalking. Yeah, and I do think that you know the that um, rationalization of like oh I've. I've made so many bad decisions. I'm a bad decision maker is a little bit of a cop out because then you can, you just give up your power and you give up your personal responsibility. And so unfortunately we can get it. We can easily go down that route because it just feels like I'm screwed whether I do or I don't, you know, you're like, whatever I choose sucks. And then you're just, <laughs> then you just right. keep and they're not in charge of your life anymore. Yeah. And I think it does come to like the power in knowing, even if it sucks to know, like reading the books and going, Oh my God, I suck. I'm awful. Or you go to therapy and you find out the reasons why like it is your fault. There's power in that because then you can change it. And I know there's some accountability there too. I remember my, like when I first started doing like quote unquote mindset work back in like 2011, I remember just feeling like, fuck, I can't go back now. 
You know, mm-hmm. there was something really nice about like in, in a way, nice, not knowing, but to your point, self-awareness is, is power to me. Like, yeah. so yes, while sometimes it sucks to really understand like how you are and really, cause there's accountability there. It's not just about blaming and complaining. It's about, okay, shit, there is some ownership I can take here. Yeah. And that's a lot more work. And so I think obviously you guys are on that path. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't already someone who is into personal development or into self-reflection or into introspection on some level. And then it's just like, do you have the balls to when rubber meets the road, make a different decision. And that's really all it takes. And it's, it's simple, but it's not always easy. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So I don't know, hopefully this helps get y'all some books and get in therapy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that really is the takeaway is just to look back and just understand yourself and like whatever decisions you made in the past, one, don't have to predict your future. You can make different ones. And two, to have compassion for that person you were and to understand you did, you made all those decisions that you've made up to your life till now for a reason, whether it was to stay safe, because our bodies and our physiology just want to stay safe. So, you know, your nervous system wants to stay safe. And usually we stick with what we know because that feels safe, even if it's not the best. And so having that self-compassion and awareness, and then the realization that it's not the only options available to you. And you can kind of expand your, expand your paradigm of the world and your view of the world and try something different. And like, I like how Jill always says, you can always go back. You can always go back to the old way. And same goes for any of this. You can always go back to making bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Bad decisions will always be available to you. (laughs) And then you won't be any worse off. Let's look at it that way. So why not try something new? Why not try something different? And that's really is what it's going to take. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at just how liberating that feels. All right, y'all. Well, that is it for us. Thank you guys so much for being here and for listening. If you have not left a rating and review, we would love that. We do have a few new ones recently. We love reading those and just so appreciate you guys leaving those. And if you're listening to this episode, please go ahead and just pause the episode right now and go to wherever you listen to podcasts and just write like one or two sentences telling other people what they can expect here, um, why you guys listen and what you love about the podcast. And if you have any uh, constructive criticism, please DM us and I'll put that on the public forum. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Love you guys. All right, y'all. That is it for us. And again, if you have any, um, you know, just want us to riff on something, you have any ideas, shoot us a message at the Best Life Podcast on Insta. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye. Bye.